one time at game. We went to HLGCon a week ago, and I got to play in Harlem Unbound, run by the creator, Chris Spivey. And it was amazing. One of the better tabletop experiences I've ever had. It's a really fun game where you play investigators or anyone you like in the Call of Cthulhu world set in the Roaring Twenties in Harlem. So I hung out with everybody that was at the table, and Ryan and Kerry hung out with us for a little while. Uh, of course, Ryan went to bed early because he's like that. Hey, 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 yeah. hey. Roll for initiative. podcast that helps you level up your role-playing game. Tabletop, LARP, mush, and everything in between. We're not better gamers than you, we just all have different experiences to share. And maybe we can help you have more fun in your game, because the only way to win at a role-playing game is to, to have, have fun. fun. Or all talk in unison. Talking in unison's great. And it, it will help you win your role-playing game. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Ryan, I'm the curmudgeon. Joining me, as always, is Carrie, the legend. Hello. And Jason, the favorite, and also the one who's changing over to Night Shift Monday, so I have to stay up all night tonight. And get caught up on the podcast episodes. <laughs> well, uh, I guess let's just do some quick housekeeping and then we'll get into things. You uh, don't want to do housekeeping. <laughs> That's why I do a podcast. That's yeah. right. Uh, we can be found at theonorrollpodcast.com, iTunes, Stitcher, etc. Etc. Etc.com. No, we have no idea what that is. We better not say that. <laughs> <laughs> We're also on Twitter at Honor Roll Podcast and Facebook.com slash groups slash Honor Roll Podcast. Or you can send us an email if you want at hosts at Honor And of course, you can go on Patreon and become a backer. At patreon.com slash podcast. So let's go ahead and talk about that. Carrie, why don't you give us a report on our Patreon backers? We have them. Whoa! It's super duper exciting. And we have a new one. Who? Um, I don't know who this guy is. Oh, that's right. I yeah. talked to him the other day. Okay, uh, you did. So you know him and who? I don't. His name don't. is Noah Coulter. Yes, and he said he's been listening to us for several episodes and oh, just exciting. decided to finally patron and back us. We appreciate it, man. Thanks. Welcome aboard, Noah. All right. Absolutely. And we'll be- also, sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Make well, sure you join our Facebook group so that you can talk about how great we I mean, your role play experiences. Oh, dear. Yeah. Um, and we'll be sending you the questionnaire. At Question. some point. In a timely manner. Just ask everybody how timely uh, we are. That's timely. pretty good. We do pretty we're, good. We're, yeah. we're getting better. That's right. right. So uh, we've also got Cameron Pruitt. Yes, he's my favorite. Is he still sending you Pepsi? He does. Oh, he sent me. He sent me a butterfly Pepsi. Well, I don't know what that is. Is that a flavor? No, no. He sent me. It's a. It was a magnet. And it's made out of uh, cans, but it's a butterfly. Oh, that's cool. It is very cool. I I, I squealed when I opened it. We also have Lost Colonies. Hey, hey, if you're in the D.C. area, go to Lost Colonies. Joe, we would love to hear from you. If you could post on our Facebook Mm -hmm. group, we want to know how your first game went, because we know that that game happened while we were in Atlantic City. Uh, because and we know that because we tried to to coordinate to maybe stop and, and get coffee with you or something on our way through, and you were like, "I can't, I'm larping. Oh, I'd rather larp." I believe he said that was the first full weekend bar for larp he's ever run. That's awesome, wow. and he is still with us. There you go. Congratulations, <laughs> you made it. We also have Ryan Martin. Yay, Ryan, my favorite Ryan. That's right. And- 
We have Drew Stevens, who's uh, fallen into the mush pit, right? Oh, Drew's been mushing with me. Right? It's super exciting. I like his character. It's very fun. What's his character's name? I can't tell you. You have to come mush with us and figure it out. Well, let's talk about Brian Fox instead. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I mush with Brian Fox. I might. He should start mushing. He should, too. Yes, absolutely. We need to start the honor roll mush. There you go. Oh, no. That's our next plan. Oh, no. Um, And then we have... uh, Mixmaster Hut. Miss Mixmaster Hut. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's she's, like my, my big uh, she's my job favorite. is yeah. to come up with fun names for her. Uh-huh. All right. Well, if you want a shout out, we'd love to give you one. And you can get one by helping us keep this show on the air by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash podcast. There's all sorts of good stuff you can get by becoming a patron. And some of those include us saying your name on this podcast, making you part of the interwebs for all eternity. Right, and that is invaluable. It's something. It's so valuable. It's so it's in. It's invaluable. Uh, that's right, that's right. Uh, all right, well, when last we left our intrepid adventurers, we were uh, actually not at this table. We were not at this we table. We were at a completely different table. We were at a table at HLGCon. And it was round, and that was difficult for me to deal with emotionally. It was really strange. <laughs> I felt like we kept talking in circles. <laughs> oh. So there was one small, tiny problem other than uh, getting to talk to a, a million amazing people that made us feel dumb compared to them. Yeah. There was a tiny technical issue. Is there that correct? Was. There was. So today we're uh, kind of doing a little bit of a wrap up on HLGCon, and then we're also going to play for you. We're going to end with our interview with the creator of Harlem Unbound, Chris Spivey. Mm -hmm. But there is an audio issue, and so we just want to give you a warning before you get to that part that you may have to turn your your audio up a little bit. Uh, It may be a little hard to hear because one of our microphones, for some reason, did not record. So just as a heads up, so we don't need hate mail letting us know that our mics were messed up because guess what? We know. We know. We already hate oh, ourselves. We yeah. do. It was very- yep. So uh, I've made some adjustments and did the best I could, and it's it's listenable. But just be aware that it is not. Uh, it doesn't sound as pretty as you know we normally do. But I don't need anybody to worry. You can hear me just fine. Jason sounds great because I'm always way too loud. So yeah. You can pick me up at mics in podcasts that aren't even ours. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So uh, so we went to HLGCon, which is the high level games convention, and it was in Atlantic City. Uh, we all drove like 12 hours to get up there. Whoa, yes. It was, oof, it was a drive. <laughs> it is a drive. It is a drive. <laughs> Are you ready to tell you something funny? Sure. Flights out of Atlanta were 100 bucks round trip. Uh, I would have saved money oh. if I had flown up. Here's another, here's another funny uh, little piece of info for you is that uh, toll road fees through Virginia and uh, Pennsylvania right at the end are a hundred bucks both ways. Yes, I would. It would have been cheaper. Y'all couldn't fly because you got to bring product, yeah. right? It would have been way cheaper for me to have yeah. flown, even with me and my wife and my son all three going. Because mm-hmm. you spent t- more than three hundred bucks getting up there and back. Right. When you consider food and the hotel room, because we had an extra night in hotel, and the fact that I missed a day's work because on Monday I didn't get back until like 
two in the morning. Mm. So it would have saved me a ton of money to have flown and would have been way more pleasant. Yeah, now you know. <laughs> I've driven through uh, Virginia and West Virginia and all those other states before, and that was fine once. It's not great a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah. So what about the convention? Did you guys have a good time? We got to meet Josh Heath in person finally. I know. I got to meet weird. Josh like uh, four years ago. That was cool. Yeah. And this is the second time, and he's great. I love him so much. And I, you should marry him. Well, I would, but I'm already married. They, but mm. Virginia's for lovers. It is oh, for lovers. Oh, but the go. convention wasn't in Virginia. So, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we also got to uh, hang out with Joe Terranova, which is very cool. Yes. And uh, mm-hmm. me and Curry played in his playtest of Huddle Folk, and it, I had a lot of fun. Is Huldefolk. I think you may be closer to his pronunciation. So <laughs> <laughs> but that's a fun, it was a fun LARP. It was fun. Please look it up, everybody. Yeah. It was it, the uh, the setting was very very cool, and then the actual rooms that we played the LARP in. We played We're, in a House of Blues foundation room. Foundation room. So if you're like, listening, you don't know anything about that. So the House of Blues, of course, is a very famous uh, like rock club venue place and well, there's several on. of them before we even get to that i think we need to explain the deal with the hotel okay. oh the showboat yeah so like <laughs> it was one of the best terrible experiences i've ever had at a hotel so the showboat <laughs> casino uh like three it, three years ago they had that hurricane that went through there and it had a bunch of roof damage and stuff and so it closed right and it stayed closed for like two years and so something like eight months ago or something a year ago, they reopened. They did not renew their casino. They lost gambling. it and they haven't been able to get it back yet. Right. Um, but, and there, but there are conflicting reports that they aren't trying to get it back anymore either. That's true. I heard that they're just going to become a convention hotel because there's gambling on both sides. Right. Of but what's really strange about it, though, is there are these huge swaths of open space with all of the neon lights and stuff mm-hmm. on the upper half of the room. Like, if you imagine a room... Uh, everything like the the top of six a slot up is a casino, right? <laughs> a, a slot machine height up is is casino, and everything yeah, it, below it is just empty space because all the machines are gone. Yeah, right. it was bizarre. And then there are entire sections of the hotel that just are roped off because there's black mold back there, and you can't go. It's That's just right. ropes across hallways. But you know what? The staff that I interacted with directly were really pretty good. They were kind of like, "Hey, we're all in this together." There's only like three of us here, <laughs> so, let's so we're going to do our best. We're going to do our best. They have a bar that's right on the boardwalk in the back of the the place, <laughs> the surf bar. And at yeah. one point, at one point, we were in there, and it was like there was like six people in there, and they were like five of them were were us, and then there was like one person behind the counter, and it it felt like. Uh, there's a season of Fear the Walking Dead when they break into a big old hotel and they just like <laughs> there's still liquor behind the counter. So they just somebody just goes back and they start serving. And it, that's what it felt like. It was like this completely Absolutely. abandoned hotel that we just helped ourselves to. Yeah, it Ooh. was pretty awesome. And yeah, it was, the whole experience was just surreal. Well, you know, what's crazy is they had just remodeled the House of Blues part, is my understanding. So all... Well, let me rephrase that. A lot of that was new, but then all the upstairs stuff was not new. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of those rooms was the foundation room. There you now, go. the House of Blues was still not open. Right. Okay. Uh, but the the foundation room is basically, it's like the VIP celebrity room that uh, several of the House of Blues 
locations have. And so it's really set up like a long hallway with a bunch of little cubbyhole alcoves where there are like restaurant booths, basically. It's perfect for LARPing, it, Except though. for it's not restaurant booth because it's like pillows in like it felt like there should have been belly dancers everywhere it's like the spot but there are all these little alcoves where like the celebrity would sit with their posse yeah and nobody would else would bother them right okay i want to talk about the fact that the design of the room is what if we covered everything with beaded quilts and that's true all of the walls everything is covered with beaded quilts and my understanding is uh all of the foundation rooms are like that but but all most like every other foundation room except for this one had actually had the quilts replaced at some point because they wear out. Mm-hmm. Sure. And these were all the originals. That's such a weird thing to say, though. Like, hey, what do you want this to look like? And somebody goes, quilts. But, but OK, but it's, <laughs> it's not like grandma's quilts. No, 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 no. no. It's, it's like uh, very like. Easter, like belly dancing. Like, it's, I don't. It's almost right. decadent feeling. Yeah, and it's so over the top that you don't go. Yes. Eh. You walk in there and it's like so much. There's yeah. so many sequins. Stunning. Yeah, yeah. And it, so it was just bizarre. And cool. And cool. It was, it was the it, coolest. Like, I've gotten a cool. <laughs> I've gotten the LARP in some cool rooms. That is the coolest one I've yeah, ever walked well, in. And the in my thing life. about and the other thing about foundation rooms is that if you are not a rich celebrity, you should never see inside one. And uh, we were throwing sh- paper, rock, scissors in it. I know. I was like, right. no, no, no. We were drawing one through ten cards. Oh, uh, <laughs> no, so maybe you were. I was uh, just randomly playing just paper, paper, rock. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and move to combat rounds then. Welcome to Combat Rounds. Today our topic is Harlem Unbound. Harlem Unbound. By mastermind Chris Chris Spivey. Spivey. (laughs) (laughs) This is our sleep-deprived episode. So uh, we're going to play the the interview we had with him in a few minutes. But first, I wanted to just talk because, Jason, you actually got to play the game. And Carrie and I got to watch quite a bit of it. Yes. Um, so I want to just talk a little bit about how this game is more than just a role-playing game, but it's also a study in culture and diversity. Absolutely. You know, it's set in the 1920s in Harlem, which was, of course, the Harlem the, Renaissance. The jazz Renaissance. And it's a really interesting time in history that a lot of people don't cover. I, I certainly never studied it. And it was fun getting to play in an era that I'm not accustomed to. But also, you know, there's no point in beating around the bush. One of the big things about the game is the fact that everybody plays a black character. That's the default. Every person in the setting is considered to be black unless it is noted otherwise. So it kind of is groundbreaking in that sense because when you are playing Dungeons & Dragons and you walk into a tavern and, uh, and the, the dungeon master is like, you know, there's a, a bartender at right. the bar. Like the assumption is unless you're told otherwise, it's a human and it's generally just assumed it's a white human. Which is crazy, because, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons universe is, even without racial diversity, is incredibly diverse. It's meant to be. Right. You should be able to play anybody you want to, but because... Well, I think society, we've We've been trained to always automatically assume everyone is Caucasian unless... Right, why does the default? default. Or we assume it's what we are. 
Yes, yeah, and, absolutely. And, and now, and that breaks into what, a you know bit what of the conversation about how how gaming as a whole is not as diverse as as we'd like it to be. There is a, a another discussion to be had there about how we assume that it is whatever we are. I don't believe that's true. I think that one of the weirdest things that happened during the game was that knowing that the default setting for Harlem Unbound is that everybody you meet is black. Many of the people that I played with that day were African American. And they constantly ask, is this person black? Because for their entire gaming experience, it's always been the default to say the opposite. And that was a weird experience for me. Because uh, obviously I, I didn't want to say anything one way or the other because I'm not, you know, it's not my story to tell. Right. That was the first time I've ever gotten to play with a table that diverse. And I hate that. It's just unfortunate that most of the people I get to play with in this area are... White dudes. Right. <laughs> it's the truth, no, it's though. True. It's the truth. I, I, I know what you mean, but it's like, ugh, white well, people. Well, you know what? It's something I think <laughs> about a lot as somebody who would like to design, and I think, well, how do I make it so that my default isn't very specific and right. mm-hmm. unintentionally racist by exclusionism as opposed to by including themes that are racist? Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right, and I think the only way to do that is include that, you know? Absolutely. Like, you have you to know, think about it. You've got to think about that. And, and that that table was amazing. There were several people there who were African American, right? Right. The table was at least half female. Uh, I think exactly half female. Okay. There was a person there who was... Uh, was Latino or or Hispanic? Yeah, I hate to to guess that incorrectly. Sure, um, was a person of color. Mm-hmm. Yep. Who there was? There's a couple of white guys at the table. That's right. Right. And one, one of them was really young. <laughs> one of them was married to one of the African American ladies yep. who was playing at the table. So it was it was an incredibly diverse little I, gathering. You know what? Another thing is it was probably a cool insight into tabletop role playing because. About half of us were incredibly experienced at LARP or tabletop, some sort of role playing, and there was a couple of people who were brand new, as far as I could tell, was hmm. my understanding. And that was that's always fun to do because people who are new have a, a different energy, right? And uh, that's always fun. I love it. They have an awe. That's right. about oh yeah, them. I'm going to do this. No, or even just like I'm in Harlem. And, <laughs> you know, and you're like, well, there's, you are. there's monsters. monsters. There's an element to being a brand new player where you're just in awe of the fact that you are creating a story. And maybe yeah. you're not someone who is creative in your regular life. Who knows? You That's know? right. So I have I have so many questions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so one of the things that is cool about this game is it's been it's being used in uh, a couple of of universities yes. to teach diversity and culture it's being it's been taken into the met and a few other museums as a cultural and diversity uh, also the item. artwork is the worthy artwork. of being put into a museum oh right, that artwork was so gorgeous yes. stunning yeah. it was enough to buy the book just looking at it i know right. i wish we had gotten to it in time so there are, there are uh, all sorts of of great things about this book but I looked at the first couple of pages and he's very just out front. Like his book, the book opens with, Hey, guess what? Lovecraft was a racist. Mm. And, uh, so we're going to explore what it's like to be in a Lovecraft story and, and be culturally diverse. 
Right. And and then there's <laughs> my favorite part was there's like a whole section on like <laughs> how not to be Ryan and Jason <laughs> and role play without inadvertently turning it into something. You don't want to be a character. Right. You don't want to but be But you don't a want to be a character anytime you're role playing, right. especially right. at a tabletop game for me anyway. Right. But I, you know, it's funny. No, you know what? That's not true. The only time you can do that is when you are playing what you are. If yeah, you sure, can, sure. You can punch do, up. Yeah. You can punch up. Yeah. Right. Like, Jason, you can play a hillbilly. Oh, I play a damn good hillbilly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I play a cranky old lady. That's true, but mm-hmm. that you've been doing that your whole life. I know. I'm, I've been <laughs> studying for this role. So I want to ask you, Jason, at playing that game, because I know, well, I'm going to backstep for just a second and just say, we have... Sitting here recording this, right? We are all being very careful how we speak. Yeah, we want because you know, we, we want, want to get it right. Right. We don't want to accidentally misspeak uh, because the three of us we're we're three white people, right? And we we don't have uh, we've not faced these these troubles. Correct. And so we want to get it right and be respectful. And so. Uh, it creates this feeling of like we want to walk on eggshells. Like you try so hard to make sure that you're you're saying the right thing that you end up saying something that's not in, that's not appropriate. So please, please let us know, and we will <laughs> fix it in the future. I mean, really, if we say something that's inappropriate because we just don't have the background to understand, get on the Facebook group. Say, hey, man, what about this? Would be better. So and, yeah. So all of this is to say. You were playing. Oh, and a, I had a great time. You were playing a black person. Yes, at a table of of, of incredibly diverse cultural table. Right, right, and then and everyone at the table was playing a black person. Yes, so that is the central conceit of the game. Well, I don't know if it's the central conceit, but it's an important right part of the game. So, what's that like being the white guy? Well, <laughs> you know what? It was a lot of fun because everybody at the table understood that I don't have as much diversity as they do, right. <laughs> and so they would be very. Uh, uh, patient, and it was it was easy to role play when I knew that if I did inadvertently make a mistake, people were just like, "Hey, honey, you messed that up," because <laughs> that's exactly what the, yeah. that was there, told. So hey, no, it's not were, like you that. were called honey about four times. To be fair, that's, it was it was adorable that's normal for me. <laughs> so, so it was kind of set up. Was it prefaced at the beginning of the game? Look. This is a learning experience. No, no, I don't. I don't remember him saying that. Was uh, it just understood? I think it was understood because they knew that everybody was trying to do their best, and right. uh, I, I had no problem when he made the table. As far as that sort of, well, I had no problems. I mean, like any time uh, the one of the two white guys, we would make a mistake. They'd just be like, <laughs> "Hey, just remember, you're a black person in Harlem in the twenties." I actually saw at one point uh, somebody's character had went out into the street chasing one of the the monsters, the monsters right? Yeah. Nobody could see it but him, and he ran out with his gun, and, and Chris actually said, hang on just a second. <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to remind you that it is the middle of the night in the 1920s, and you're a black man screaming and waving a gun. Do you want to continue? Right. And, <laughs> and I thought that that was... Amazing because that is uh, that is one of these these teaching moments. Like we we just don't. The player clearly didn't have that in mind. Right. Absolutely. He he was. I'm going to go get the monster, mm-hmm. and he didn't have in mind that you know the police are going to be called on me. Right. Absolutely. And which is I think really at its heart a lot of what this game is meant to do is 
You know, mm-hmm. I, I, it's to partly to sort of combat the racism of Lovecraft. Partly it's to allow Chris to embrace his love of the mythos in in creating something amazing. Absolutely. And then I think, well, I know because he told us so. It's also then about him trying to share cultural and cultural diversity. You know, as a learning and teaching experience for for people who might not get a chance to to learn it in other ways. And I think another important thing about the game and uh, what he did was he's pushing the idea of African-Americans in role-playing games more towards the norm. Because the more that people publish important good works, no matter who you are, the more you push the needle towards whatever you like. Right. And and so if he likes telling Cthulhu stories set in uh, Harlem, then – There'll be more of them because now he's broken the ice. Oh, we can more people should write books like that. More right. people should write more diverse stories, and, and that's exactly what happened. Chaosium right. picked him up for the second edition. Yay! Absolutely, <laughs> and I believe that he's doing some other work for them too. Correct? He is. He's mm-hmm. doing uh, he's, something with super secret. He couldn't tell us. Ah, oh, that's right. He's doing a super secret sci-fi thing. He told us that. Yeah. And then he's also uh, doing um, a Cthulhu superhero game. Mm-hmm. He told us that as well. Wow. So. That sounds so much fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I tell you, I, and not just all other concerns aside, I want to say Chris is an amazing uh, keeper. That's what you call him, Cthulhu. I always forget. The sto- the dungeon master is yes, called a keeper? Yes, he was a great keeper. Because one of the things he talked about before he started was the fact that he wanted to practice running more off the cuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, he had a rough outline, and he knew the kinds of monsters we were going to encounter, and a lot of the story was reactionary based on what we did. Right. And he did a great job. He was very detailed in his descriptions without boxing us in. He gave us interesting hooks to work with, and he gave enough information so that the table would sort of build the rest of the room. Yeah. And he worked really good with our roles, like... I know this sounds silly, but one of the most important skills that any kind of person who's running games can have is to be better at interpreting the roles in interesting ways. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you failed, it wasn't, it wasn't boring. It was interesting. Yeah. If you succeeded, it was interesting. And I just love that. Uh, and the story was good, too. It was, it was simple, but it was... You remember you, how we talk about how it's simple so it can be, we can be complicated? Mm-hmm. And that was exactly what it was. He allowed all of those characters to have moments... Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, any even when things were happening to someone else's character, everyone was paying attention. Mm-hmm. You know, and, like, at one point, I don't know, worms came out of some guy to attack somebody. Right. And it, nobody else was there except for the character that was being attacked. And the whole table went, ah! <laughs> it was you know, very engaging. Yeah, it was. Part of it was how good the group was, but a lot of it was that he did such a good job. I really Yeah, appreciate. I was... I was super jealous. I know, I know. Like, Jason, they missed it by like what so, five minutes? Oh, it was terrible. Like Jason texted Ryan and I, and we're like, "Hey, I'm playing," and we're like, "Stop!" <laughs> As we're running down the stairs, you know, knocking people out of the way, and we didn't make it. Just as a general rule, if if a developer of a game ever says, "Hey, man, I'm going to run a game of it," you go play. You play that game. <laughs> you play that game. Absolutely. Uh, and I really appreciate, Chris, if you listen to this episode, I appreciate you sending me a message saying, hey, we're fixing to start. Oh! <laughs> jerk. But, and that jerk was Jason, That jerk Chris. was Jason. <sighs> I wanted to make sure there was room for me. Uh, yeah, thanks. 
Thanks a lot. So, Chris, if you're listening, next convention you're at that we're at, Ryan and I get to play in the game, not Jason. <laughs> <laughs> or you can just drive down Ooh. to Chattanooga and we'll Ooh. have a special podcast where you run Ooh. this an episode. Well, Chris was really great and he was he was an incredibly nice guy and it mm. was really kind of him to sit down and do an interview with us. And I, I feel terrible that the audio did not well. work as well as, as it should have. Um, there's a lot of background noise, which would have probably been fine if both mics had worked. Uh, but like I said, one of them did not. And naturally, it was the mic he was sitting closest to that Absolutely. did not record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, we're going to stop talking here, I guess, and and let you guys listen to the interview we did with Chris Spivey, who is the guy who created and wrote the new, uh, well, it's not new, I guess, it Kickstarter like a year ago, right? I believe so. Yeah, so it's, it's a game called Harlem Unbound. It was a tabletop game, and uh, here is the interview we did at HLGCon with him. This one time at game, we were at HLGCon. HLGCon? What's that? (laughs) High level games. So we went to the high level games convention in Atlantic City and. I did my hair. I did my hair. You did do your hair. Carrie did her hair. I made myself look well. I was doing the song. What song? Bruce's song. What do you mean, what song? I hate you. I don't know. Anyway. All right, well, you're listening to the Honor Roll Podcast, the podcast that helps you level up your RPG. I am Ryan, I am the curmudgeon, and joining me is Carrie the Legend. Hello! And Jason. I'm the favorite and also the one who just bought a new book. You did? Yes, Harlem Unbound. Hey, we should talk to the guy who wrote this. I'll see if I can find him real quick. Let's do that. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) There he is. Hey! So we we are being joined by Chris Spivey. Welcome, Chris. The award-winning designer of Harlem Unbound. Thanks. Glad to be here. And I I will say multi-award winning. (laughs) (laughs) Snap! So, all right. So let's talk first right out the gate of just telling everybody, what is Harlem Unbound? Tell us what this project is that won you three Ennies. Three gold Ennies. Three gold Ennies. That's better than the silver Ennies. Hold on. We need to, we need to specify because, like, I didn't know what those were. Well, you what know, is like most that? people have an Audi. I'm going to stab <laughs> you. I am going to stab you, Jason. So, Emmys are the, they're basically the, kind of the Oscars of role-playing games that are given out at Gen Con every year. Okay. Yay! Right. I mean, that's pretty much And there's a gold and silver. Oh, there's so there is. Okay. So, it's like the Olympics. It's like first place and then first loser. Right, and you were the first place. You you don't have to. We will say it for you. That's right. So, and you didn't. You won three, which, uh, my understanding is, like three is like sweeping. (laughs) Like most most games, because there are a lot of entries, most games are very lucky to get one. And Uh, pretty much, unless you're probably one of the bigger companies, like Delta Green. I think, for instance, took home maybe five or six. Right. But Delta Green has Dennis Shane. Those guys are machines. Sure. Generating offerings. Right. Well, and also, you're one guy. This is your book completely, right? Uh, it's my book that I brought on some other writers to help work with it. Okay. But it was my my company's first book, the first product that was made, and I love it. There's a lot of personal passion. You're listed as mastermind in the opening credits. I noticed that. I love and it's it. It's dark, uh, dark, dark Studios. Dark Studios. Okay. All right. So you won best cover art. Yes. Which is beautiful. Did an incredible job. Oh, it's so pretty. Who who was it? Brennan Reese. Okay. And then uh, you won um, best writing. Yes. Which I got to receive. I actually received the award from Mark Morrison, who was one of the writers for Dead Man's Stomp. And Dead Man's Stomp is actually the scenario that hooked me into Cthulhu. 
Very so cool. Great getting best writing award from someone's writing that inspired me. Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. And then, uh, and then what was the third? Best setting. Best setting. Okay. Well, then, let's get into it and tell us what's the setting. It's uh, Harlem during the Renaissance, which it was pretty much the black mecca of the time. It was where you could be African-American, and there's still racism and oppression, but you had a chance to be more than what you were. There's hope in the air there. And it wasn't just African-Americans. There was LGBTQ. There was immigrants from all other countries and everything else. There was a large... Jewish population, Italian population, and the, the Latino population is also increasing at the time too. So it's just a beautiful melting pot of ideas, religion, creativity, and everything. And this is like, it was what, 1920s? 1918, roughly 1934. Okay, all right. And I layered the entire Lovecraftian mythos on top of that, ah! so I could then address the racism in Lovecraft's work and similar to the man himself and racism in our society. So this yeah. is kind of a, a what happens if you take Lovecraft and and have African-American protagonists or... or uh, the default uh, setting for any character that you make in the game is African-American. Okay. okay. Uh, which is the exact opposite of most games that you see. Absolutely. Right, right. Heck, it was what, like 50, 60 years before D&D had somebody non-white on the cover? <laughs> <laughs> So, what made you decide to write uh, to to create Harlem Un- Unbound? I'm assuming you played you played role playing games before you created this, right? Well, you're clearly a giant nerd. You're wearing a Captain America T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you're at a gaming convention in Atlantic City. I've been gaming since I was about seven. Right. Okay. Nice. So I have a lot of experience with gaming. And Harlem Unbound. So I'm. How should I start? My cousin is Zora Neale Hurston. And so I've had a lot of sort of connection to Harlem itself. Okay. And I have a love for Cthulhu, and I wanted to combine the two. But I wanted to make sure I address a lot of important issues. Because whenever I've gone to game before, people look at me like I don't belong to be there. Ah, uh, right. That's going to help address that conversation forward, that gaming needs to be definitely more diverse environment. It's welcoming to go Absolutely. So for, for the people who are listening, and also for Jason Humeda, I don't know who that is, Face. Tell us who that was. <laughs> uh, Zorno Hurston was one of the incredibly influential and famous writers of the period. Okay. He was an anthropologist, folklorist, writer, uh, almost an adventurous in himself. That's awesome. Unfortunately, fell somewhat to obscurity, and Alice Walker actually is the person that sort of shined a light on her again, and everyone started screaming more of That's great. And for the record, I made the same face Jason did. I wasn't sure who it was either. I'm sorry. He likes to pretend that he's the smart one because he's got half a degree. <laughs> so, so you have a, a personal connection to the time period. Uh, and then where did the Lovecraft part come? When I was around 13 or 14, a couple of us were at an estate sale, which Alabama, when someone passes away, you need someone to go in and sort of like keep an eye on all their stuff and organize their Sure. And one of the books they had was Complete Words of HP Lovecraft. And so that night, we're all, everyone was sleeping in sleeping bags. I had my flashlight on. I'm reading oh. Lovecraft and oh. in a dead person's house, and the shadows were moving. Right. And so it really sort of resonated with me, the concept of an unstoppable horror in the, in the universe. You don't struggle for one more day. Right. Right. And being uh, a black guy growing up in Alabama, it has its own sort of horror structure associated with it. Mm-hmm. And what I really want to do is parallel human horror and choices versus the mythos of horror. Do you That's f- really clever. I like that because while obviously I'm not in your shoes, I can imagine what it must be like to feel like there's nothing you can do, which is exactly cosmic horror. I can't win. 
I can only fight. Yeah. And you have to, and for the home renaissance, it's the fact that there has to be hope at the end of that, so you have to keep struggling to go on to the next day for the next day. Because right. there's no horror without hope. Yeah. That's that's a mistake I think that a lot of people make when they're when they're doing horror. Like they they feel like they've gotten so close, but I don't know what I'm missing. And it's it's usually that element of hope. Hope you have to have sunlight, right? Yeah. So uh, tell us about the setting itself. Tell you know what's happening in your version. Um, well, it's fairly close to true history. Okay. I hired some writers and I sort of gave them some different pointers about what I really wanted to cover, and we cover the city, we cover some of the politics, we cover the people. We break down into as much as we can so we can present what it was. Okay. Because if you go to Harlem now, unfortunately, a lot of it is being genderfied and sort of washed away. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Those ideas and people trying to change the world around them in a positive, creative manner. Okay. Right. Well, it was a, I mean, jazz was a huge part of Harlem in that time period. Yeah. And so I, I, that's what I, I love this idea of, of uh, like, I don't know, I don't want to, I almost said dancing Cthulhu's. I don't even know what, I was thinking when I said that, because I don't mean to like trivialize it at all, but just like the, the feel of jazz to like Lovecraftian horror, that feels like it could be a really fascinating sort of thing to explore. Like sure. a jazz nightclub that's got Lovecraftian, you know, elements going on to make it spooky like you know what elements of Lovecraft you bring in obviously obviously not the the racism (laughs) actually I directly confront and address the racism in Lovecraft's work sure great great there's an entire section of the book dedicated to that and how you could how you could actually attempt to play someone that's potentially not your own race or gender or something else and gives you high-level bullet points and suggestions about things you do, and it that, has a list of things that you should not do. That's wonderful, because actually, I was trying to figure out, how do I word that question, like, if I want to play a black character, but I don't want to be offensive, you know, like, and what I want to, yeah. yeah, like, how do you do that without, because, like, I, I know as a, as a woman, I always roll my eyes when a guy's like, I'm playing a girl, right? <laughs> let me describe my boobs to you, and I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's always the first part of the, the drawing <gasps> that we yeah. do on our character sheet is you our boobs. That, uh, the werewolf uh, Facebook page? What about yeah. three or four months ago this yeah. person posted the picture of their character and then spent 20 minutes talking about their lips and boobs. And you're like, I bet that's a dude. Yeah. Right. Like, no. So so how do you how do you address that? You know, when if you've it's, got it's in the book. It's in the book. <laughs> okay. Read so the book, mister. Well, I've only had the book for about an hour, so I haven't had a chance to read it. What's the what's the thing that you would want somebody to take away from reading this? That human horror can be as worse, if not more so, than what we've ever before. Absolutely. The, you know, we run a lot of World of Darkness stuff, and all the really best World of Darkness stories have almost nothing to do with the supernatural. Right. In the end, it's always a human. Yeah. Yeah. I remember... It's the fact that humans don't have to be crazy to be evil. It's a conscious choice they're making. Absolutely. You have to be selfish. I remember the first Splat book that they put out after 9-11... Uh, it was one of their last splat books, too. They'd actually put a little sidebar. It was only like a paragraph, and it had just said something to the effect of, if people want to bring 9-11 into your game, we recommend that it is only exactly what it was in real life, that it was evil human terrorists who struck out against America from, from the Middle East because there is nothing that a vampire or a werewolf or whatever could do that is more horrific than the acts that just humans do upon other humans. Every day. 
Okay. So, do, do you find? I'm, I'm curious. Do you find that a lot of people uh, who have picked up your book become surprised by how how racist Lovecraft was? You know, I I, I know that's a strange question, but. I know that there, um, as someone who is a, only a casual fan, when I first learned just how horrible he was, I was I was like, "What? How can this be so huge?" Because everybody loves Cthulhu, right? So how could something so uh, with such a toxic element be so giant? And I realized it's because a lot of the people who love Cthulhu and buy the plush animals and everything have never actually read a lick of him. And so I'm, I'm curious: do, do you run into that? I've run into that, but I've primarily run into people that are trying to create reasons why his racism wasn't bad. Uh, denying that it exists. Justifying. And I've you encountered just read more stories. of that than <laughs> I have people that didn't know. Right. So how are you using your book as a platform to, to show them that, that, no, he was just a racist? Because he was like he I'm gonna, I'm things. the curmudgeon. I'm allowed to say the. I think we can, I think things, we're but. all gonna agree with you on that. <laughs> like <laughs> on the first page, pretty much of the book, it says that Lovecraft is a racist, and that's how I start. Right? <laughs> uh, which brings that to conversation. And then I've noticed some people that see that they didn't know they might run online and they start sure. googling Lovecraft racism. And they get an array of hits going through. Right. It's right. also one of those things that like I didn't really know much about him the first time I read any Lovecraft. And then you read something about him, go back and read his stories again, and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Gross. I thought this was just the casual racism of the era. It yeah. was no. not. <laughs> yeah. Which is bad enough, but still. Yeah. So was this the very first game that you ever developed? This is the first game that I developed completely. So I've worked on Cthulhu Confidential as a writer and a few other products too. Who did? Is Cthulhu Confidential? Is that is that Chaosium's? No, that's that was Rush. okay. And the, it's so hard to you know everybody does a Cthulhu product because of the li- the licensing license. is it's common law, but. Common law. It's not it's common, common law. law yeah. We're all married. It's to the We're all married. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I now pronounce you husband and, and Cthulhu. madness. Alabama, if you spend the night with somebody in a hotel room, you're married. Hey. <laughs> That's the law. Hey, I live right next to Alabama. I know all, all too much about it. <laughs> so um, you can tell when you drive into the state because, like, nice road, nice road, boom. Gravel. Just like driving to Virginia. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, but Virginia's for lovers. Yeah. <laughs> which which state was it that had all the don't turn left? Yeah, when you go through Virginia, the on-ramps to all of the interstates, at the end of the on-ramp, as people are merging to get onto the... the interstate. The, there's a... Yes. Right? There's a sign that says no left turn. Well, that's because like, they're lovers there. They're where are they going to... Like, they're turn around and go right into traffic. <laughs> right into... It's so but weird. But every exit had that. Or every every, every on-ramp. It was weird. <laughs> so here's a standard interview question. What was the game that got you hooked on role playing? I started with the Red Box. Wow. Mm. The wow. game that made me love gaming? Yeah. Shadowrun. Nice. Okay. Right. The first full session of a game I ever played was Shadowrun. What did you like about Shadowrun? I love the mix of magic, technology, and it has pretty much a very like, diverse people that presented in the book in the right. VR world. Right. And yeah. As a game of color, that really spoke to me, coupled with a great setting and crunchy mechanics I used to like that. Sure. It's, it, it's crazy. It feels like the older I get, the less I like crunchy mechanics. And then about a year ago, I identified what it was. 
after I passed about 35, my memory isn't what it used to be. <laughs> and I can't remember them anymore. So now I'm like, no, guys, crunchy mechanics are bad. Clearly, we've got to get these more freeform mechanics that I could actually remember. <laughs> What's been your experience gaming? Uh, my gaming experience has been mixed at best. Some of the worst things were I was running a Star Wars game and I met people in line. I let them come into my home. As you do, it's always tricky when you meet people online. Please drink or come sit in my house with me for six to eight hours. We had right. someone come uh, that I, I mush with. That can, oh, it's online gaming. I, that um, mushes. He played a red box. Ah, <laughs> no, but um, that was lived in Sweden and came and visited us. He never be really cool. Very cool, very cool. But it was like not all well, Swedish people are cool. <laughs> but it was so funny because then, like after like he bought the plane ticket, I looked at Ryan and I was like. What if he's a murderer? <laughs> what are we gonna do? And he was like, "Ah, throw Dakota at him." I don't know, you know. So, what was your experience there? So, they, we played a couple sessions, and they came back for, for maybe the fourth or so game, and we were playing, and the dice rolls didn't go the way they wanted them to, and it was a TPK for the table based oh. on some of their actions. And when I stepped away for a second, I was coming back. They called me the N word. <gasps> Whoa! They Goodness! Didn't think I could hear them in my own home. That's insane. Mm-mm. And then I kicked him out. Good. Absolutely. And they looked surprised that I actually kicked him out. You're like, or showing up at conventions, I'm sitting behind the table with my keeper screen, and people come up and look at me and ask, when's the gym there? That's awful. With my art, I'll be sitting at my table with all of my art, and I'm proudly sitting there, and they'll walk up, and they'll be like, so, your husband did all of this? <laughs> no. No. I can remember going to Gen Con when I was, like, 20 with my portfolio, you know, all ready to show all everybody my artwork and all that. And my boyfriend at the time was also an artist, and he had his portfolio with him, he too. He wasn't nearly as good, though. He was actually pretty good. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to be like that, you know. We broke up, but he was pretty good. But um, And I remember handing them my portfolio and they were like oh you're carrying this for your boyfriend <laughs> and I was just like just give that back to me I don't even want to hear your opinion of my art like, so what about good experiences um, the good experiences have been fun because usually once you sort of weed out all of those people you build a solid group of people yeah. and they sort of help reinforce everything that you're doing and they get more and more to the game so since I have some of my players that know how important this is to me and that they're like retweeting stuff on social media. They're writing problem with balloting conditions they go to for me. And it's great. That's awesome. Well, so Harlem Unbound has now been uh, it's been taken into several museums. Yes. And it's being it's oh, being yeah, what, used. Was the college that's uh, teaching w- it now too, right? right? That's the question I was going to ask okay. before Jason interrupted <laughs> and tried to finish it for there, me. There's, uh, <laughs> there's a university <laughs> who um, the name eludes me because I've been drinking it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> All water, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> professor reached out to me and said, "Hey, I, I want to use your book in my syllabus to teach to my class about the importance of horror fiction and how it can influence and change society. Is that okay with you?" <laughs> yes. Of course, I was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> and so now it's actually part of the university syllabus. It's been taught, and that's a great feeling. Coupled with the fact that I've had history teachers in high school reach out to me and say, hey, I'm using this book to talk to my kids about the hormones. It wasn't even on our criteria originally, but we can use this. I love using gaming and education because you can engage with people in a way that just a history book can't. No matter how well it's written, no matter how interesting the stories are, you're not doing them. But when mm-hmm. you show somebody a game, they're directly involved, and they're feeling 
emotions and they're taking actions that people in the era would. And that gives you a connection that you can't just have Absolutely. going to a lecture. Businesses have discovered this for many years. They do like role-playing sales calls and things like that. Absolutely. And, and we don't teach that way as much as I think we should in, in schools. And so, yeah, that's really cool. So can you tell us how, knowing, knowing that, that this is kind of uh, breaking out of the role-playing game environment and becoming also uh, a teaching tool uh, for culture and diversity, uh, and even history, how how does that affect you know second edition? When when this goes forward, what what do you do to 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 help those things or uh, or balance that fear of of maybe maybe losing some of those as you write more material or less material? So that's been something that I was struggling with, and one of the reasons that I actually started working on a second edition before Chaos was reached out to me. I wanted to update, I wanted to change some text, but once Chaosium said, hey, we want to print the book for you, I asked them that if we're going to do this, I need to make sure that the voice in the book stays the same. Like, that's the most important thing to me, and we can't lose that. Right. And they're like, we do not want to lose that, that's why we want to publish this edition, so we can reach more people with it. And Chaosium, they do uh, a Cthulhu game currently, right? They are the producers of Call of Cthulhu. I was going to say, they do they, the, the, the Call of Cthulhu. I was playing dumb for our listeners. Oh. Okay. I suppose the normal way. <laughs> and so that's great to actually have Chaosium putting out, so to right. go to more of their fan base and to have like a larger company in the industry itself that will be using the product and trying to move that benchmark forward. Right. And I've tackling some of that by adding in a few new scenarios, one of which uh, I'm really excited about that I can't tell you anything about. Okay. Oh, no. But it's going to have pre- people talk about it. I'm going to pretend to turn off the microphone. <laughs> you're going to tell us off the record. <laughs> <laughs> so are they... Um, are, are they did oh, I'm sorry. And, and for instance, I reached out to Neil and the history section, Neil wrote it. Neil is a Scion, the Scion line developer and writer for Scion. Right. And Scion has a very sort of engaging feel to it that has um, a legend, a legendary feel to it. And I wanted Neil to bring that to home. And so that's why he wrote the history section. He's added maybe another 2,000 words to the history section. So you're like giving more history and more in-depth insight. Right. Well, I noticed your timeline starts at 200 million years before the common experience. So it's pretty detailed, huh? <laughs> well, it's a little bit of the business. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's good. So is, are they, because they do a Cthulhu book, because they already published Call of Cthulhu, have they, uh, are, is there any desire for them to, from them to incorporate it into their line, like as far as changing mechanics to, or anything like that? The, so right now the book is dual static for both Gumshoe and for Call of Cthulhu. Gumshoe is programmed process system. Okay, okay. Uh, it's an open license system. I had talked to Kat and Simon saying, hey, I'm putting out Mormon Bound on like a dual stack. Can I get your stamp of approval? And they were like, sure. And that's why there's also a Darker Q stamp, there's a Chaosium stamp, and there's a Belgrade Press stamp. So, so first edition is already dual statted that way. Okay. And it already has Chaosium for some of the rules in it, and if they're not provoked, they're specifically page reference rules for the Okay. okay. But it has all of the gumshoe rules in the book, making it a complete core book in itself for gumshoe and a source book for all of the Right. Well, that's perfect. I love that. You've got a complete game and a source book for an existing game you probably already have on your shelf. Yeah. Because if someone can afford to buy multiple books, I want them to be able to run and play a complete game in one book. Right. Cool. 
That's wonderful. So what's next besides second? Is there anything else besides second edition that you're working on that you can tell us about? I'm working on a modern-day superhero game using both Cthulhu for Chaosium. That sounds cool. And I've done all the playtesting. It's going to be shipped over to Mike pretty soon. And everyone that's playtested has loved the easy flow of how powers work, the freedom they allow them, but pride at the soul-crushing ending of the book. <laughs> so what's the elevator pitch? Like, if you were going to tell us, what's this about specifically, what would you say? Superheroes versus the mythos. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Superheroes versus mythos. That's certainly original. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm also produced, I'm the line developer for a untitled science fiction line for Chaos. Okay. That's great. And the little bit that I can tell you about the jacket is that it's I a... I think you should keep that as the title. <laughs> <laughs> I think Delta Green probably wants to steal that one. So, oh, right. <laughs> so what can you tell, can tell us? That it's uh, Afro-Judeo science fiction through sort of a Philip K. Dick, Christopher Priest lens. Okay. It's the, what happens during human evolution. I'm sold. <laughs> I threw a lot of words out there. That there was a lot, but that was fun. <laughs> yeah. That's good. So what are you going to do at this convention? So far, I've had one round of Palm Unbound. I'm probably going to try to run it again. And other than that, maybe game a little bit. We'll mm-hmm. talk to some people. You need to hit one of the LARPs. <laughs> Tabletop over, guys need to be tricked into LARPing. It's been over 20 years since I LARPed. <laughs> That's what happens. People LARP one time, they have a bad experience, and they're like, whoa, I, those I guys. LARP, I LARP multiple times. It was okay. all vampire, uh, Bruja, Adventure, and Alessandra. <laughs> I bet you made a badass venture, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> you could but I enjoyed Alessandra. Well, we really, we like really, anyway. we really appreciate you joining us and and sharing your thoughts. Uh, yes. On the book and, and putting up with with us. Consistently <laughs> going through this. I really get it. Uh, appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to mention or bring up? Uh, so, if you get a chance, you should also check out City of Mist. They had a Kickstarter recently, and I'm writing one of the new neighborhoods new districts in their upcoming book. That's cool. great. And if people want to get a copy of Harlem Unbound, I believe most of the physical prints are, are just about sold out. But I think there's maybe 100 physical first edition books that can be bought from IPR. Is there a website? Independent Press Revolution. All right. Okay. Cool. We'll have to go there and get people to buy more books. Do you have a website you'd like to share f- for uh, Dark Hue? Darker New Studios, or check out my Patreon, or follow me on Twitter for my occasional tweets. Yeah. They're real pithy, right? Well, I just had my Doctor Who rundown to get ready for the 13th Doctor, where for 13 days I gave you my favorite Doctor Who quotes. <laughs> so what was your, what was the best one? That would be Sylvester McCoy, and I don't remember it well enough right now oh. to do it all. Oh. Is he your favorite Doctor? Uh, the Seventh Doctor is my Doctor. The later half of the series. Okay. All right. Cool. What Did about you? you all? Now that you've got your number one. He okay. hates Doctor Who. Okay, let him, let him, let him, let him. I cannot be here anymore. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. So my question to you on this topic is, Peter Cushing, real Doctor or not? No. You knew that, he did know better. Yeah. My favorite is the War Doctor. Nice. I can't, I, like, it changes every time there's a new Doctor. Like, right now, the new Doctor is my favorite Doctor. It's how it always works. I can't, I can't. You You're know, like a kid. Whatever's in front of you. Yes, oh, oh. Okay, have you seen the cycle? Like, new Doctor, fuck that. Then you're like, oh, this one's pretty interesting. This is the best Doctor ever. 
What? They're gonna kill him off? <laughs> Fuck that. So that's tr- my cycle every time. Truthfully, so uh, uh, let's see. My my most experience because I'm not a, a gigantic fan like some people are because I didn't have cable as a kid, so I couldn't watch them. Is uh, oh crap nine. Um, Chris Eccleston. Yes, Eccleston. I love him because he was deeply tragic, but he was trying to be better, and he wasn't. Why well, he could be funny, he didn't. He was never intentionally goofy, and he was just trying to get by. And I love that story of somebody who's got all this power and ability, and yet all they're trying to do is is fix themselves. And I thought it was a, a deeply personal story that all too often modern Doctor Who fans look over for cuter, younger doctors that came afterwards. I'm, I, you know, I'm not much also of a... Like submarine captain, I like that. I'm not much of a Doctor Who fan, but it's mostly because the, um, I like the, the, the rules are so, like, I mean, they even invented the phrase, the timey-wimey, you know, wibbly-wobbly, to justify that the rules only apply when it's convenient or inconvenient for the writing, and that, that, does not appeal to me. That's just. A, I mean, it's that's true for almost every single show. Of well, some more than others, though. <laughs> and so, and for me, Doctor Who crosses that, and it's just, it's hard for me to to be okay with it. Um, but I will say, of the Doctors, I mean, I've seen a few episodes of most of them, and Matt Smith was the one that I liked the most. He was fun. He was but, fun. You know. Do you not like the modern doctors or not? Uh, I do. I just didn't like Matt Smith's doctor. It's, so that's a problem. Why, why not Matt Smith? About, I, I hit. I don't like this doctor, and it didn't move from that spot. I was. Did you keep watching? I stopped, and then I would jump back on and I'd stop. Oh crap! What's uh, then? I'm gonna just stick with Peter did? Cushing. <laughs> <laughs> what's the the name of the actor who just retired? Peter Capaldi. Capaldi. You need to watch his episodes. It almost I, feels like an old doctor. I totally stopped, and then when they introduced Bill Potts, I jumped back on. Sure. And that was a great episode, and half of that season is really good. I watched, That made me watch the last of that season. Right. You can't really think of it as a science fiction show, and I think it's part of Ryan's problem with it. It's more like an episodic adventure program. For like, kids. Yes. For kids. When it started. The rules don't matter. It's still, I mean... Still, Look at look at all of the. You need to watch the new episode if nothing else. Who would you? Who would you? Isn't it? That's perfect. <laughs> well, if you look at all of the the marketing material that they did for the new Doctor, like when she came out and surprised people at the sneak previews and stuff, sure. The audiences were all like thirteen year old yep. kids. You know, I mean, so even even the marketing, like. I feel like in England, they get it. They know it's for kids. And in America, it's for cosplayers. Look, I'm a nerd, so everything should be for me. <laughs> and whatever age and demographic I have to be part of right now. Right. Well, my, my partner, uh, work, you know, I'm, I'm developing my first game. And uh, the guy who's doing it with me, his name is Ashley, and he is like the world's biggest Doctor Who fan in the, like he's the guy who's like we'll, we'll talk about Doctor Who and be like well in episode 37 of Doctor <laughs> number 4 you know and, and just starts rattling stuff off like it's inc- like he's read every single book ever he's uh, you know a huge fan of the Big Finish then he was he's, he loves ev- just eats it all up and uh, um, and so I, he gives me grief about Peter Cushing all the time. <laughs> yeah, but then you always ask him, shouldn't it be Doctor Whom? And he gets, <laughs> and he gets so mad. He gets very mad. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, so one of my favorite old episodes. 
Um, either Enlightenment, Survival, or Ghostland. Right now, the only person listening to the podcast is Ashley Raver, and he's going, <laughs> Those are very good episodes. <laughs> so why aren't you running a Doctor Who game? Oh, uh, funnily enough, I spoke to the people that make Doctor Who <laughs> and let them know that I would always have You'd be willing. my schedule to write Doctor Who. You know, the current, the current game that they're, that they're making, I am told, is a very good system. Like, that the game is actually a pretty good adaptation. Uh, but the question that we had last night... Yeah, we, we were just talking about We were right. hanging out, and who do you play? Like, you don't play... I mean, does it... Because everybody can't be a doctor. Yeah, How, you probably, they have the companions from the list. Sure. So, so some, universe. somebody plays a doctor, and some, and then everybody else plays their companion? That could be fun. if you do your own games, you could have everyone technically Time Lords if you want, because the Time Lords are back, sort of... Sort of, kind of. Right, really timey-wimey. <laughs> Uh, well, We're in episode 47, that, all of the doctors came back. <laughs> that guy said the way he ran his games was everybody was a former companion. And so every adventure was... And the doctor was missing. And all the companions seen. had to go find him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's fun. Yeah. So, you great. You to write a, a book that is inspired by the works of the Doctor Who series. In that way we could Tar- all play... Uh, it would be TARDIS Unbound. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> still the old, I think they were on DMLS, rocking the TARDIS. There you there go. You go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Well, Chris, we really appreciate you spending yeah, time absolutely. with us, putting Thanks. up with us. Uh, and the, you, you can find this episode. We'll be online uh, sometime yeah. next week. And uh, we really appreciate you you spending time with us. Yay! Because normally we would have had to write stuff. And it's yeah. easier when we're just like, hey, man. Talk. What's your thing about your thing? <laughs> right. So... Tell us, wrap us up, Ryan. I just, I did, and then you You started us back up again. You have to say, and then you get five experience. Yeah, you have to give XP. I have to give XP? Yeah, Yeah. give XP. Okay, well, you know what? Like, uh, Jason, you get zero XP for all the the entire time. Uh, Carrie, you get 10 XP for attendance. Thanks. And five XP for travel. Aw. Yeah. Where where did you come in from? Virginia. Virginia? Okay, so that's like three XP for travel. That's close. We drove 12 hours, so (laughs) it's all relative. Yeah. So, and you get, uh, I think you should get like 15 XP for for creating a really cool game. That I I want to buy. And I think you get like another 20 XP for making a difference because it's rare to find games that make a difference and, and it's something you should be really proud of. Yes. Thank you. So uh, I appreciate that. It's great. I only need a 6-6-P to level up. That's Woo-hoo! right. Thank you.